Pro teams have millions to spend, and they don't always spend them wisely. But when it comes to a great shave, you don't have to shell out tons of cash. Harry's saw customers getting ripped off by the shaving industry, with overpriced, underperforming products, and decided to do something better. They found their own way to make beautifully designed razors for a fraction of the price of the other big brands, so you never wonder if you overpaid. Harry's shaving products look great, and the weighted handle makes shaving feel great too. I like to keep my beard neat, and Harry's always leaves me with a smooth yet crisp shave. Harry's quality is top-notch, thanks to German-engineered blades made in their own factory that stay sharp longer. You can get a five-blade razor, weighted handle, foaming shave gel, and a travel cover for just three bucks at harrys.com slash bluewire. And Harry's has the highest customer satisfaction in the shaving industry, plus a convenient subscription option that you can cancel at any time. Getting the best doesn't mean spending the most when you shave with Harry's. Get started with a $13 trial set for just $3 at harrys.com slash bluewire. That's harrys.com slash bluewire for a $3 trial set. The Links and Locks Podcast. Podcast. Better than most. Better than most. Better than most. Winner, winner, chicken dinner! You got real talent. Don't concentrate on golf. Hello, you beautiful degenerates, and welcome to the Links and Locks podcast. It's the Action Network's golf betting podcast. I'm your host, Roberto Arguello, and I'm joined this week, as I am every week, by my co-hosts, Spencer Aguiar and Nick Bretwish. Today, we'll pre- we'll be previewing the Sony Open in Hawaii. It's the second week in Hawaii in a row on the PGA Tour as the tour bounces from Maui over to Honolulu. We'll be at Wailai Country Club, and we will be covering last week's Century Tournament of Champions wrap-up. Then we'll get into our best bets for this week. Then we'll go to go through our betting cards, first with our outright picks. Then we're going to go with our matchup plays, and then place bets, and any other bets that we might have this week. It was a fun tournament last week. Across the board for us, we had some action, however, on Colin Morikawa. And had yeah, what, was it, bad... was it fun? <laughs> it was fun for about 67 holes. What, was it actually fun? Oh, my gosh. It was fun until uh, it really wasn't fun. There you go. Exactly. So, Nick... I originally was waffling on Colin Morikawa. You had him on your card, and you convinced me on the show to add him. Hashtag Ian Pod Play. Break down how your Sunday went. Oh, my gosh. Well, so the two plays I had for the show last week both looked fantastic going into the turn to the back nine on Sunday. Poston takes a double. I believe it was on... 14 i don't have his scorecard in front of me on the back nine to fall out of i believe he was tied for 15th at the time and then yeah morikawa i mean i I don't even know what to say what i've been doing today is just no comment for anybody i've uh i've talked to kind of you know just we're on the cincinnati bill belichick style i've been telling spencer all day but obviously john rom earned it too like john rom played fantastic absolutely tore up the course like cam young was one of our other favorite plays we didn't get there on the outright but i mean him and john rom just went absolutely nuclear on sunday so it's not like i mean kyle morikawa certainly lost it just what do you shoot even par on the back or plus one so like that's that's terrible at that course it was just so frustrating like it's one of the i think the only time i've ever prematurely checkmarked a bet on twitter 
and I got roasted for that. I deserve it. That's, I mean, it is what it is, but not in a million years did I ever think that he would blow that. He duffed a pitch shot too. It's not like I, I could have hit that shot. I, just, I don't know. Like his focus was kind of gone. And when the camera started showing his face, he just looked like he got hit by a bus mentally. I, I just don't know what happened. Uh, perfect course fit though. I mean, I, I was very proud of being, I think we were one of the few shows that actually talked about Colin Morikawa. I know we have nothing to show for it, but it's just frustrating what happened. Uh, I'm not worried about Colin. I don't think that's going to sit in the back of his mind. He's so young. He's so, so good. You saw all the incredible shots with it. Even off the tee, he was, I guess, not as good as the field, but he just looks so, so good. And that putter actually looked damn good from, you know, 12 feet and in, he was damn near a gimme all week long. So if that's what we're going to see out of Kyle Morikawa, I think I'll take more positives out of the sun, like just overall for the week. Obviously the, the debacle on Sunday is what it is, but I'm I'm super excited for what Kyle Morikawa showed us this week outside of the the closing, but we know he can close, so I'm not too worried about it. I think again, I just mainly am excited to see that putter go because if that's there, you know, good luck to a lot of the PGA Tour players out there that are faced off with Kyle Morikawa. And Nick, he actually finished 11th in strokes gained off the tee for the week, gaining 1.96 okay. strokes. Yeah, so uh, above field average. So, yeah, mm-hmm. pretty damn good overall. I and mean, what was his putting? Do you have his numbers in front of you? I, I just have one look at him right now. Yeah, what, what do we got for strokes game putting? So he finished with 5.6 strokes game putting, second in the field. But incredible, he, he lost 1.1 strokes in the final round. Yep. So he was sixth <laughs> on Thursday, second on, on Friday, second on Saturday, and 30th in the field on Sunday. Uh, and I, I would oh, just no. throw out that Sunday sample size. I mean, if we're, uh, I'm not necessarily like Colin Morikawa, like fanboy by any means, but I, I'm kind of indifferent with him, which I think is better in the betting market to not have biases, which I certainly have with guys like Xander Shoffley, Russell Henley, uh, Siwoo Kim. I think we'll probably talk about him on this show, but yeah, overall I, it's, I'm going to walk out of it with a positive, but obviously Sunday just absolutely sucked and it, it, it hurt to see that happen, but it is what it is. Yeah, Morikawa went 67 holes without a bogey and then proceeded to bogey 15, excuse me, 14 and 15 and 16. It was the only time anyone bogeyed 14 and 15 in a row the entire weekend out of the 39-man field. I was watching the tournament. Normally on Sundays, I'm pretty locked in on the NFL. The second afternoon viewing window was not up to NFL standards, unfortunately, and for full disclosure, I've got four TVs up, so I'm watching a lot of stuff. And I, I had that. the golf on the second screen the whole time, was going in and out, listening to it. And I saw the infamous Nick Brettwish tweet after around the seventh hole on the oh, front no. nine. And oh, I started no. to get really worried after that. And <laughs> I was not answering my phone, not talking to anybody. I was locked in on this. And then the ninth hole was where I started to get a little bit concerned because Morikawa went 300 through the first six holes, which is the toughest stretch of play on the course. Yep. So that was a really. That's why I tweeted start. it on seven. Yeah. I was like, All right, this is yeah. over. He had, he had damage control. Like he excelled in the hard holes. Oh man. I'm sorry. He was I'm, on pace to shoot 30, 31 under. And then on number nine, didn't take advantage of the par five. Didn't take advantage of the sharp par fours. And then on 13, didn't take advantage of that one. And on 14, he has that ugly pitch shot into the green he d- and then puts it in the bunker i believe and then on another hole he duffs it just a really really tough look and we've known that the short game is where his biggest weakness is right now i was on the gimme on wednesday and 
Jason Sobel was talking about how he was almost yippy around the around the greens. And so when I saw that he was going to have position, he was going to be in position to have these little 40, 50 yard shots. If I miss caddy first off, I would have had him hit an iron and then have him have a full wedge in to avoid those scenarios. But I got worried. Yeah, play, play the Hovland game with it. Yeah, put it. And I actually got in in-game bets on Rom at five to one, three to one. And then later, once Morikawa was about to surrender the lead, I bet Rom at, I think, minus 165 as well. So I ended up winning a little bit more than I would have won on Morikawa. So it worked out for me, but I'm bummed because I know not everyone was watching this tournament that people probably thought was over, especially if you had money on Morikawa. So hopefully you got a live number. Um, I know Spencer always says a second place finish in an outright market is the same as last place. But when you have that kind of cash out or in game value where it's only your guy and one other guy, it presents a unique opportunity. Whereas if there were 10 other guys in contention, probably wouldn't have made the bets as aggressively as I did on Rom. Spencer, enough about Colin Morikawa. How was the rest of your betting card? It's kind of funny because I'm the only one on the show that didn't have Colin Morikawa. And the unique thing about that answer is I think if you would look at that tournament, like specifically after Thursday night, Friday night, and probably even after Saturday, if you were to tell me that Colin Morikawa did not win that golf tournament, I would have told you that Scotty Scheffler was the winner. And that's who I had last week. I don't know what is wrong with him. He just continually does not seem to be able to make a putt uh, when I need him to. We even saw that big swing on Saturday to where he misses his birdie look. Morikawa drains it in from like 11 feet. You have a two-shot swing there um, from what should have taken place. And it was frustrating in that regard. My week was pretty much hit and miss in general. Like, the outright card with Scheffler, that didn't get across the finish line. So that took a big loss when I went to the top of the board. Cam Young was one of the big plays I talked about on the show. It really didn't matter in which iteration of the bet that you got uh, Victor Hovland against, like whether it was Cam Young, Fitzpatrick. I think there was a Sung JM out there. There was a Morikawa. Like every single one of those players beat Hovland, even though Hovland made a run. That was a positive thing. I had a bet after round one where I took Max Homa over Russell Henley. That was a nice hit that I was able to get at plus 100. He was down a shot. Uh, there was a book out there that had released that price. So, you know, that kind of salvaged the week. But the really bad part of my card was KH Lee in general. I lost a round one bet with Adam Scott over him. I lost a round four bet with Brian Harmon over him. That one was especially frustrating because KH Lee was a golfer out of 39 players in the field. He started on my model in 35th place before the event. When I run my in-tournament data, I don't include scoring totals into the mix. So he was ninth entering Sunday for that. But it was one of those positions where it's like he's 36th in my model. So he's dropped the spot. It doesn't think that what he's doing is sustainable. He goes out on Sunday and he blisters the course and tears it down. And Harmon, who's one of only two players with Colin Morikawa being the other, that has gained off the tee and approach in every single round throughout the event kind of goes south on me with it so you know I ended up losing a little bit less than 1.6 units that's not obviously how I wanted to start the tournament but or start the season in general but you know it's just a weird tournament I I don't know if like no cut tournaments are where I want to be specifically like usually I don't have as many head-to-heads when that takes place I always try to be more cautious in that regard but it's it's hard like like I'm happy to have a full cut 
event this week that's in play. Even if I don't think the betting board is as good, it's just naturally you find more plays because they're, they're, you know, look on like a Friday round. There's going to be something that's going to be, that comes into play where, you know, maybe one of those things that you're looking at, the player goes south on it. And I think more of those things, like there's more pressure to be had from shot to shot. So uh, I, I'm always more inclined to want to bet tournaments that have a cut. So I, I'm excited to get into it this week. Yeah. And one thing you just mentioned, pressure, something that's really hard to handicap, something we can't model for Colin Morikawa on that back nine. And I am always a proponent of betting against players with pressure, not just to be a hater, but because it's completely different and you're playing a completely different game when you have this four footer to win the tournament versus on a Thursday afternoon uh, when you're just getting started in the tournament. And we've even seen that. I mean, remember Scotty Scheffler missed like a two footer on the last hole at the masters didn't cost him the tournament, but it happens to the best players in the world. And we've seen some pretty shocking results. I mean, Roy McElroy, probably the best player in the world for most of the late summer last year, couldn't get it done in the final round at the open championship at St. Andrews had a lot of opportunities. Couldn't make the putts. It's really tough to win on the PGA tour, incredibly tough to win. And if I can get a big number on someone who's chasing or even in the clubhouse after the last, after the leader who's alone has shown some kinks in the armor, then I'm willing to take that play. And we even saw it, I think at the Fortinet, the first tournament of the fall, when Max Homa came out of nowhere to win the tournament um, after a four foot collapse on the greens times, times two. Um, so a lot can go wrong on the back nine of the PGA tour. We know that uh, going through the rest of my card last week, didn't go well with my place bets, had some money on Adam Scott and those both went the wrong way with him. Hideki Matsuyama, I bet on him for a top five. Didn't know what the form would be like with a little bit of a layoff. Hopefully was going to see him a little bit healthier and he did not have it from T to green, although his around the green play was strong. And then like Spencer did, I faded Victor Hovland. Initially had Finau, but that was minus 134. We talked about this last week. And Cam Young was even money. Matt Fitzpatrick, I think, was minus 108. So those were better bets that I liked. So that one ended up hitting. Ended up winning five and a half units. So nice way to start the year after those live bets on ROM. But we're on to Wiley Country Club this week. Spencer, what are you looking for on this tournament? And how does it differ from last week at Kapalua? Sure. So Wildlife Country Club, it's 7,044 yards, par 70 Bermuda greens, which is going to be similar to last week. But one of the things I continue to hear throughout the space is everyone talking about trends at this event. We've seen 17 of the past 24 winners play at the Century Tournament of Champions the week prior. That's something the entire industry is honed in on right now when trying to figure out wagers. But a few massive things need to be considered before you jump to a statement that dictates playing the week prior is a must for a bet. So number one, if we are aware of this information, so are books. The last thing we want to do is to buy into a trend that is being calculated into the price. Two, let's remember that the best players in the world are the ones that played last week. Sure, it doesn't hurt that they got a few rounds in under their belt, but there's a reason why the top 10 favorites on the board for this tournament competed at Kapalua. Part of that answer stems from what I just said about the overinflated pricing. But the other explanation is that these are the most likely winners. And then three, to answer your question, Roberto, the only two similarities that I can find between these two properties would be the Hawaiian trade winds 
that are going to be somewhat notable. I'm not seeing more than about 10 miles per hour on any given day. So it's not like we have a massive thing, but it's just a wind that comes in a different direction. And then the Bermuda grass would be the close second to that. I think this track accentuates much more of a need for GIR percentage and accuracy off the tee. We have a 9% decrease in fairways hit here versus a typical stop on tour. That number is going to be 21% lower than last week. And then the fact that we get 67.5% of approach shots from 125 to 200 yards only further enhances a very specific style that, you know, it's 13% of an enhancement from that 125 to 200 range over a random tournament. So I think if we're talking specifically outright betting here, it probably does put us in a little bit of a bind since numbers are decreased in all the likely areas of win equity. Uh, but we have to make decisions of how aggressive we want to get on this card since shops didn't really help us out there. And for that reason, I tend to be more inclined to fade those obvious names since the value is more or less gone. Nick, anything to add on the course preview? No, I mean, in, in terms of where my numbers are at, the only thing that's a lot different for me this week and something I usually don't value a lot, and I've talked about this a couple times on the show, is course history. It seems to be a, a much more predictable course, and I know there's a, a couple guys that Spencer and I will probably talk about, I hopefully you're on them too, that have not played here, so that won't you know, deter me from getting some sort of action on guys like that, but um, I, I'm mainly looking for guys that hit fairways. I, distance means absolutely nothing here. Iron play from 150 plus, so those mid to long irons, and obviously I, I want guys that make putts on Bermuda grass, so even if they're not a great putter, if their baseline gets better on Bermuda, that's going to be someone I'm looking at, but overall just fairway finders. Before we move forward into this, let me ask both of you this question, because I think that's a good segue into this topic. So the top player in this tournament, who is the betting favorite at most shops, is one of the guys in Tom Kim that has not played this course before. I'm not even speaking of this directly as an outright number. Like, I don't know if, well, I know that Nick does not have an outright on him. I don't have an outright on him either. Roberto, I don't know the answer for you as the time of us speaking right now. Knowing you, I'm going to guess that you probably don't have an outright on him. Uh, but what are you doing with Tom Kim in general this week? Panicking. I don't, <laughs> I really wanted to bet on him this week. And then he got a top five last week. And I also was considering a Brian Harmon play this week, but yeah. I saw him miss too many eight footers last week for me to possibly bet on him to win this tournament. My only outright play is Tom Kim this week. I'm, I panicked. I put money on him. I don't know what his ceiling is. And I think he's that, awesome. He's just awesome. He's really he's awesome. easy. Um, Oh, I guess I'll get into why I'm playing him this week right now. He's got insane numbers. I was trying to find a lot of players between who have strokes gain on approach from between 125 and 200 yards. That was impressive. And every time I pull up a new page from this season, Tom Kim's name is right at the top of the list. It's Tom Kim, Tom Hoagie, a bunch of Toms. And he, even though he's really short, this course fits it fits that game where he's above average on driving accuracy. I think the last 15 tournaments with data, he has been above average on driving accuracy for that tournament. And then over the last seven tournaments with data, he's gained at least 0.9 strokes on approach per round. So a really strong baseline for him. I don't like playing players under 15 to one to win tournaments. I really don't like it, but given that the other players in that top, tier ish under 20 to one this week is significantly lesser. Whereas had there been a few other guys that I consider 
really strong putters or really strong on approach, I would have been a little bit more worried. Or had I seen Sung JM from early fall form or late summer form right now, I'd have a little bit more pause about betting Tom Kim. But I think we're getting into a sell high spot on Sung JM. I know his metrics are incredible, and I am personally a big Sung JM fan because he plays almost every week, or at least he did at one point. And so it's fun to have a guy that you can watch every week. But I like Tom Kim outside of Jordan Spieth going crazy or Sung JM. I know Tom Kim's going to have a really high floor. And if he puts really well, and if nobody who's a bomber really gets that big advantage of him off the tee, I think he's got, I think he's going to be in contention at least. And I didn't want to have to pay a premium later in the tournament. So I took a chance with him this week. It's painful for me to pay this kind of premium for him, but I'm really excited. I don't know what his ceiling is and hopefully he comes through for the third time in his last nine PJ tour starts this week. I think not knowing what his ceiling is, is what makes this really intriguing because like Nick kind of talked about this a second ago, other than Augusta national, this course has the biggest rollover predictability of any venue on tour. Now, if you were to drop a venue for Tom Kim and like, let's just say we could hypothetically give him three starts here. I would assume they'd be pretty good, but let's just say we hypothetically can give him three starts. I would be very, I would be ready to push all in, in this position, the, the weighted proximity from 125 to 200, he's number one in my model. When I add the proximity, the total driving and the putting, he's number one in my model. It's really hard to find areas where he's not pushing near the top. Now, the one flip side that I'll say to that is when I'm running this just purely from an upside perspective, Sung M does get very close to the numbers that I have attached to Tom Kim at this point. And, and the one noticeable thing that I would point out to that is, and I was telling Nick this earlier, like when you look at GIR percentage for this tournament, he's three percentage points higher than anybody in this field. Look, yes, I don't know what Tom Kim is at this level at this point of his game, but in a field that's this strong, you know, like I've made this joke already, but it's not the three of us playing against them. Like there's real no. PGA tour players. Mm-hmm. It, it's Sung JM. It's, it's a decky, whether or not we want to fade him. Like that's another part of the story, but there's Jordan Spieth. There's Corey Connors. There's real players here that are quality ball strikers. And I am, I feel confident saying at this point that I don't think that Kim is going to be a golfer. That's going to be three percentage points better. So there has to be some regression to what I think he actually is. That doesn't mean that he's not like the best player in the world potentially, but if I believe there's regression and he's never played this course and that matters to me, that's the only level of trepidation I have. And and I think he's going to provide a good finish. I think the floor is probably there, but I mean, if push came to shove on it and you made me bet one of these guys, I'm almost more inclined to say Sung JM right now. But they're one, two. I'm not trying to like talk anybody out of Tom Kim. I don't hate Sung JM either. I just think Tom Kim's on an absolute year right now. And you're 100% right. I don't think this is sustainable. He's going to regress at some point. But in this field this week with him, especially coming off of last week, being comfortable in Hawaii with Jordan Spieth, friend of the family now, I think it was worth the risk for me this week. I wouldn't have a big argument if you bet Sung JM. I also know a ton of people are on Corey Connors. I know he's putted really well here. I don't know that I would expect him to putt as well as I think a lot of people are expecting him to. So that kind of scared, scared me out of it. And I kind of talked myself out of everybody else in the 
15 to 40 to one range. And I didn't love the players outside the top outside of 60 to one uh, to win it this week, especially at this point of the, of the week when a lot of the value on guys at 80 to one or down to 50 to one, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but yeah, the unknown with Tom Kim was enticing for me this week. He's number one in my model in all iterations of how I ran it. And that's not something that I can say on a weekly basis. Pro teams have millions to spend and they don't always spend them wisely. But when it comes to a great shave, you don't have to shell out tons of cash. Harry's saw customers getting ripped off by the shaving industry with overpriced, underperforming products and decided to do something better. They found their own way to make beautifully designed razors for a fraction of the price of the other big brands. So you never wonder if you overpaid. Harry's shaving products look great and the weighted handle makes shaving feel great too. I like to keep my beard neat and Harry's always leaves me with a smooth yet crisp shave. Harry's quality is top notch thanks to German engineered blades made in their own factory that stay sharp longer. You can get a five blade razor, weighted handle, foaming shave gel, and a travel cover for just three bucks at harrys.com slash bluewire. And Harry's has the highest customer satisfaction in the shaving industry, plus a convenient subscription option that you can cancel at any time. Getting the best doesn't mean spending the most when you shave with Harry's. Get started with a $13 trial set for just $3 at harrys.com slash bluewire. That's harrys.com slash bluewire for a $3 trial set. So guys, if you're not playing Tom Kim, who are you playing outright? I guess I'll start us off here, Nick. Um, you alluded to one of the players, and and unfortunately, I don't love that everybody in the space seems to be on him, and it's kind of for the reasons that you just said with Corey Connor. So I was lucky enough to find a 28 to one number out there before that kind of fell down into the lower 20 to one range at most places. That's going to be 0.28 units to win 7.84. And I have seven golfers this week. They pretty much all become long shots after that point. And I only have 0.82 units at stake for this tournament, but Connors is a golfer. You talked about Roberto. He's averaged 3.5 shots to the field per start at the Sony open with his putter over four attempts. That's a total that outweighs his projected baseline in my model by nearly four shots. Look, I'm worried about that. Like, look, if, if you're telling me that the putter is going to be something that we can add to the ball striking, he's the number one ball striker in my model. Wonderful. That's the combination of how he wins a golf tournament. I just don't know how sustainable that is. And I'm afraid that everybody who's rushing down that mentality of Corey Connors being such a great play because he's gained strokes putting here. There's as likely of a chance that he implodes with the putter and he loses multiple shots and he kind of returns some more of what we expect with him with his ball striking and then the regression with the putting. But I like the 28 to one number. He has three straight top 12 finishes at this track. And he's the, along with being the number one ball striker in my model, he ranks inside the top five for expected scoring at this tournament. Uh, another wager that I'm not necessarily jumping up and down about, and I haven't looked to see where it's at currently, but I'd almost like certainly have expected this to regress a little bit and drift in odds was Emiliano Grillo at 50 to one. At the end of the day, I trusted my model on a golfer that I never find myself wanting to back. But one of the reasons why I did is he's no worse for wear with his putter on Bermuda. The birdie potential and ball striking will place him in the top 10 of this field when running numbers. Maybe if I could go back, I might go a different route with this than going Connors and Grillo at the top. And, you know, there's a, if you just take those two off the board, there is a way to get the Sung Jay, or there is a way for me to get the Tom Kim. And maybe that's more of the preferred route that I would have taken is 
removing those two golfers, but that equaled 0.16 units to win eight. I took Alex Smalley at 60 to one. I continue to be a massive proponent of Smalley during all of these tournaments, especially during the off season when all of us were on him. I think it paid for a lot of our wagers weekly in the placement market. He contributed three top 11 finishes in a row. I kind of keep going back to this point, but my model seems to believe that a par 70 gives him his best chance to win an event. And he's one of only five golfers to rank inside the top 30 of all categories I ran this week. So he would be one. Connors would be two. Henley, Sungji, and Tom Kim are the other four. Uh, 0.14 units to win 8.4. And then I took four deep long shots. One of the numbers, I got a really bad price compared to what Nick got. One of the numbers, I pretty much got double of what the market is. Uh, I think the other two I've either beaten or lost by about 50 points. So obviously, like we're talking about some really good plays that moved in my direction and some other plays that haven't. But uh, that would be Russell Knox, 125 to one. I'll let Nick talk about his 150 to one price he got in a second. I took Grayson Sig at 200 to one. That number plummeted throughout the space to about 80, 90, 100. So uh, I put 0.1 units to win 20 units on that play. That's going to be the big one if I can hit that one since I mostly go to win eight units on most of these. Justin Suh, 200 to one. I'm kind of just dart throwing that play. I'm hoping that like we know that he received his card as the top point getter on the Corn Ferry Tour. He's a really great putter from everything that I've heard from people out in the space. Now, my metrics don't necessarily bear that to be true, but I've heard him compared to Spieth in a lot of different, uh, by a lot of different people out there. And that's more of like the long range version of speech Spieth on the green. It's not the short range version where he's missing all these putts. So look, he's 49th overall in my model. I don't really know what to expect at the end of the day, but this might be one of those spots where there's more upside than actually meets the eye in this position. And then the gross one is I took Lucas Glover at 250 to one. I've seen that drift out into the 300 to one range at the time of recording, but he's sixth in my model for weighted proximity, 11th for ball striking and ninth for scoring at accessible courses under 7,200 yards. Obviously all of that sounds great. I mean, you read out those numbers and it's a 300 to one golfer, or 250 to one golfer. And it's like, all right, I'm all in. This is the bet, the best bet of the week, but the downside will come into play with the putter. He ranks outside the top 120 in my model. That's on Bermuda. That's on random courses. Like you can put him anywhere. The putter is just really bad. I think we're throwing a dart here. I'm hoping for an outlier week with the flat stick in. Uh, you could probably make an argument that the better way of playing this would be as a first round leader bet. Cause I don't know if he can sustain this for four days, but top five finished the last time he played this tournament. I'm hoping more of that ball striking can come into play. And you know, there's four really deep long shots that kind of keeps my card open enough to where, like I always say that if I am a unit around that range from a pre-tournament perspective, it gives me a little bit more to play with. Like, I don't like exceeding 1.2 units on my card from pre-tournament and in-tournament play. So technically I about have four tenths of a unit to play with if I do decide that I want to jump a little bit more into the mix. And Spencer, what do you think made Grayson Sig such an attractive bet across the industry this week? I think it was a mispricing. Like, like one of the things is, and this is just my model thought he should have been 60 to one. I just want to point that out above anything else, but there were books out there, which I'll, I'll leave nameless right now that decided to release 200, 180 to one prices, a couple that were over 150. And you had numbers hanging out there that were more in like that hundred to one range. And it was one of those positions to where 
like I'll, I'll run you through some of the stats in my model, but he's a top 25 ball striker for me. We've seen his form turn around recently to where, like if we watch what he's done, it's a 15th at the RSM. There's an 11th at the Bermuda Championship. There's a 9th at the Sanderson. You can say that those are not the best tournaments, the majority of them, like they're weaker fields, but there's something that's flipped with his game recently. And that 200 to one price to me is more of what I would have expected from him eight months ago, not the version that we're getting right now. And it's interesting because we're seeing a very similar mentality with Brian Harmon this week to where I'm not saying these two guys are exactly the same and Harmon has proven more on tour, but Harmon's gone from this golfer. That's been a 50 to 60 to one fixture almost every single week. And now he's jumped into this like 18 to one range at some shops. And that's fine. I, I like Brian Harmon this week. I don't know if I can get myself to that, to the window at that price, but Grayson Sig is the golfer. That's like, I think he has a similar skill set that he can work himself up into these tournaments. He's top 20 in all iterations of how I ran my model, yet the industry opened him up at a price that was vastly higher than what it should have been. So I don't expect him to win this event, but when I see value like that, I was more willing to bet it as a golfer that was like, I I've given this example before. I don't know if I've given it on the show, but when Corey Connors won the Valero Texas open, at 250 to one, my model thought he should have been a 50 to one golfer. And I treated him as a 50 to one golfer in the way that I attached my units for the bet. So when he won, I won it for, you know, 30 plus units that week. And that's the same mentality that I'm taking with Sig. I, I don't necessarily think he gets across the finish line, but there's also a lot of ways we can play him in this tournament. I'll get to one of them later, but I, I would keep an eye out because there are books that have underrated his chances this week. I like the idea of shooting for bigger upside on those mispricings, especially at those bigger numbers too. Makes it a lot more fun if you do cash one of those out. Unfortunately, you said you didn't get the best number on Russell Knox, but Nick did get a better price on him. Nick, what'd you get him at and why'd you want to bet Russell Knox this week? 150 to one. It was just a, it was a number grab. I don't think there's any win equity in Russell Knox. I think the highest we'll see is a, is a top 10 finish for him. And I think he did that at the players last year. That's probably the best we'll ever see Russell Knox play. I had him priced at 95 to one. So to get 151 again, was just me kind of finishing out the rest of my outright cards. I really didn't take anybody at the top of the board. I looked at Corey Connors for a while couldn't really do it when I saw everybody in the industry was on him and the prices were going down. I think the best price in the market when I was ready to bet it was 22 to one. And I'm not going to do that, especially when I know Spencer had it at 28 to one. I saw 28 to one early in the week and didn't do it. Um, so the top of my board right now, the guys that I, I honestly like them a lot. I like one guy more than I like Morikawa last week. And that's going to be Someone that I've really opened up to today in the market overall seems to be really sharp on him. He's getting a lot of steam, but you can find a 40 to one number on Keegan Bradley outright at uh, a couple of legal books out there. I think there's one or two that are still sleeping. looks like most of the market has moved down on him um, or moved shorter on him. But yeah, I, I love Keegan Bradley. The long iron play is elite. Um, I was worried about the putting, but it looks like he's done pretty well here. Like the same narrative everybody's given Corey Connors. Keegan Bradley is a great ball striker, a fairway finder. He has really good success here. If I want to pull that up real quick, 12th last year, miscut in 2021, 12th, 29th, 39th. And he's putting the best he has overall outside of, you know, just Bermuda surface. Sure. I'm, 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 positive that's not good for his baseline yeah again compared to his baseline it is worse on bermuda but he's putting the best he has in like eight years so 
I'm going to ride the form and a, a great number at 40 to one on Keegan Bradley. And also for almost the same exact reasons, the long iron play is not nearly elite, but I like Billy Horschel a lot this week at 35 to one, I think is almost standard across the marketplace. So you can get that. And then the two, um, I think at the same long shots that I have are the same as Spencer's Alex Molly, Russell Knox, we talked about. And then I did, Take a little sprinkle on Savenson at 100 to 1 because he was the longest odds for someone I do think has win equity that fits the narrative of they played last week. But also his long irons are pristine and he's just a really good player. Hits a lot of fairways too. So I think this course should be pretty well for him. But if I had to choose one, my best bet overall in the outright market, I'm going to go with Keegan Bradley at 40 to 1. So if that's the uh, the in-show play for you that we could probably uh, cry about on Sunday when he falls apart on 16, 17, or 18, um, Keegan Bradley is going to be our, my, uh, my source of frustration on Sunday. That would probably be the other route that I would have considered like either going up to Sung JM if I removed Grio and Connors or just moving Connors back to a guy like Keegan Bradley, there's negative win equity technically at both of the, now when I had Connors at 28 to one, I'm using that price. There was a positive win equity I had there, but when I'm looking now, there's a negative win equity that both of those players experience. But there's a lot of ways that I can run this model for Keegan Bradley where he starts shooting up my list. And, and that specifically comes into play. If he starts making putts, I think he can win this tournament. And then just to add to what Nick said, and, and I, I think this might be a DFS answer, uh, even above anything else when we talk about this, there are a lot of rumors floating in the space that Billy Horschel was not going to play the tournament this week because he was so bad at the century tournament of champions and he was going to go home and get his game right. I have seen nothing to show that that to be like that. That's a true comment. I think that that's just speculation out there. So there's probably going to be a reduction in various aspects of the market that you can get on Horschel. And it reminds me a lot of when Kevin Knob won the Sony open. I think it was two years ago. He came in nearly dead last place at the century. And that's like a wide open course that didn't suit his game. It's the same exact mentality that I would talk yeah. about with Billy Horschel. This is a venue where he places inside the top five of my model. The same thing happened to Kevin Nod two years ago. He implodes the week prior. He comes to the Sony Open. He's inside the top five of my model. At that time, I didn't bet Kevin Nod because I was worried about what he had just provided. But like that's where the differences of these two venues really don't come into play. Like, Sure, it helps that a golfer maybe got rid of some of the kinks that they had to their game. But I'm not looking at that thinking like, oh, well, Billy Horschel locks six shots off the tee. This is a much better venue for him to try to find success with that. I think he's going to be able to use his accuracy. So I have tried to find ways to get exposure to Horschel. I don't really know exactly where the best way to go about that is. Maybe it's on a DFS site, but um, I think he's intriguing playing a lot of markets this week. Yeah, Nick, going back to Keegan Bradley, he's someone that profiles pretty well on this track that I think no real weakness in his game. The putting and right. uh, around the green game are not are about average. And he's shown some volatility with the putting where he can be pretty poor, but he can also be really good. So I like the upside there, but I did hit on him at the Zozo in the fall. And I don't know that I'm going to catch lightning in a bottle twice. If I hadn't bet him that week or had he, had he not won, I mean, had he finished third that week with me on him, I'd be much more likely to be on him today. <laughs> so for that reason, I'm out for now. Also, right. because I don't have sure. room on the car because of Tom, Tom Kim. But he's one of the people. He's one of the people I'll be keeping keeping an eye out for throughout the week, in case he is in contention, or maybe we find a matchup over the next 
uh, 30 or so hours before the tournament starts that we can look at for him or Billy Horschel, because I agree, Spencer, the course change from last week to this week is going to be huge for him. Looking at the off the tee stats, he finished 38th out of 39 players, uh, losing six and a half strokes off the tee. And he, I think, was the only player over par on the first day on Thursday. So he oh, did yeah. make a nice comeback after that. So he's got some momentum. So I like he, that. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. No, I sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you there. Like he was three over par and the next worst guy on the leaderboard, there was a couple of them were 200 par. He was five shots worse on the day than anybody else in the field. It's just not a venue that I think suits his eye. And that's really all this comes down to. I wouldn't look into this thinking that Horschel doesn't have his game. I know that the, that's the rumor out there in the space, but I'm not a believer that that's the case when the entire market is reacting the same exact way. And it's funny because if you look at some of like some sharper places out there, Horschel is holding his own in every single matchup. I think that's more indicative of where the smarter money is versus some of this like public consensus that Horschel is going to be flying home because he's not going to want to play this tournament. Yeah. 64, 69 on the weekend last week. And after he finished outside the top 33 and the big, four strokes gain metrics on Thursday on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday on approach, he finished 14th first and seventh in the field. So I think mm-hmm. if you got a Billy Horschel ticket at 35 to one, I think there's value there as well. So yeah, I just come Kim buzzsaw. It's the tank engine. Uh, guys, we've gone through our outright cards. Let's get into some matchups, any matchups that you guys are playing this week. I have one that I'll give on this show and, you know, for whatever it's worth, I've noticed these boards shrink in value over the last few months. We used to have eight to 10 plays that would hit the threshold total that I needed to consider recommending it, but it's been much more difficult to find as many options that land in that range recently. One shops have gotten savvier with pricing and two, it also doesn't help that they're providing fewer matchups with what I deem to have strength. A lot of these boards feature either sharp movers versus other sharp movers. I guess the inverse of that answer when you get two fade candidates against one another or these really heavily juiced totals if you want to take on some of the fade-worthy golfers. With all of that being said, I am going to go with Grayson Sig. I think this is one of the ways we can play him this week, and I'm going to take him at plus 100 over Robbie Shelton. As is the case with head-to-head wagers that I recommend, my first line of business is finding a fade candidate that I'm hoping to take on for the week, and Shelton fits what I'm looking for ideally ranking 60th in my model from an overall sense and slipping outside the top 70 when I start to incorporate a heavier batch of numerical metrics into the mix. His 113th place mark for weighted Bermuda, 65th place grade in weighted birdie or better, and 67th place return for ball striking generates this alarming profile that probably could go in the wrong direction if his irons are off. And while the GIR rate and scrambling stats are fine in my sheet, the broad array of the flat production from SIG, and that's something I was even talking about when I was saying 200 to 1 is too high. I think that that flat production that it expects from him just provides a much safer candidate for us to target with a tournament that has a cut. If you made me guess, I would say Shelton probably slips through the weekend. I don't necessarily think he's going to miss the cut, but the hope obviously remains that he implodes early on. He misses the weekend. We win this before Saturday has to play here. But even if that doesn't, be what ends up coming into play here. I like Sig's overall flat style of where I think we can get four good rounds out of him. And Shelton might be one of those golfers to where even if he does really well on day one, I could see him going in reverse over the next couple of days. I like it. And we have a lot more 
opportunities to win both on Friday and on Sunday this week and a lot bigger field. So that makes a lot more fun for matchups. Nick, do you have any matchups this week? No, I tailed uh, tailed Spencer on Grayson Sig, and I'm looking at a couple. I'll get your guys' thoughts real quick. Siwoo Kim over Denny McCarthy. I'm not a McCarthy fan on pretty much any week. So um, he's 39th in my model. He's 48th for upside. Like the only thing I'll say about that wager, and this is what I was telling Nick earlier also, Siwoo Kim, so boomer bust in most of these events. I worry about that from a head-to-head perspective because I, I do think McCarthy makes the weekend. And if you're telling me you're going to get four rounds of golf, all of a sudden that safety does come into play. But if you're just looking at what a golfer can do from like a purely an upside perspective, Siwoo Kim to me has actual like tangible win equity at this tournament. I just think he also has a very low floor that if you told me he missed the cut, I, I wouldn't be shocked. Yeah, I think that's that's where I'm at. There's too much volatility in Siwoo, but I do want to pick on Denny. I just really haven't found a matchup in the legal market right now that offers some value there. So I'll probably uh probably sit that out and just go with Grayson Sig with uh with Spencer here. The one golfer that I really want to try to take on would be Kurt Kitayama. I have not found a legal matchup. Um I, I mean, in fact, I haven't found a matchup of any kind that I want to take him on against, but uh, Kitayama is a player that is kind of just negative in my model. However, I ran it. What aspects of his game are you think overvalued this week? Uh, well, I mean, if we're talking like, if we're talking from a betting perspective, like I'll leave everything else out of the mix here. I, I think he's far too popular in all aspects of the industry, but he's 113th in my model when it comes to strokes gain total on easy courses that are under 7,200 yards. That's not going to be the be all end all of a category, but what that tells me is he's less inclined to be a birdie maker at this course. I don't like the par five ability that he brings to the table. Now in his defense, he gets two less here than you normally would see from him. So that's kind of like the Alex Smalley derivative mindset plan that I'm taking there to where Alex Smalley becomes better when you only give him two par fives and technically Kitayama should become better also, but he doesn't then bring in that high end stuff on the back end that Smalley's bringing in. So Kitayama like doesn't really matter that he only has two. The weighted birdie are better 58th in my mall. A lot of that goes with the easy courses ball striking 86th for me. Like that's going to come into just, he's bad with his driving accuracy. His GIR percentage is 63rd in my model. And the one thing that I like, which um, it is worth noting, he's 22nd for me in weighted proximity from 125 to 200 yards. That means that he has some ability. And I think that that's where a lot of people in this space seem to be liking him this week. They're, they're watching the iron numbers, which that's great. To me, that's one of the most important things that you can find this week. But when you only have one aspect of your game that's clicking, when everything else seems to be going south, I'd rather fade that person when every person in the industry is like, they're, they're betting him to win the tournament. They're betting him for first round leader. I see him in head to head matchups. Like I'd rather flip it and just go against him because I think he's more likely to miss the cut than a lot of players in that range. Doesn't hit a lot of fairways and he's pretty bad from the rough too. So I'm, yeah, I'm good too. on that. Yeah. yeah. I was about to say his driving accuracy over his last 25 events with data. It looks like he has been better than the field average five times. So He's going to be playing from the rough more than an average player in this field. And he's in a tournament where a lot of people are valuing course history. He only has one appearance here, which was last year. And it was a cut where he was 13% uh, below the field average in driving accuracy as well. And then was below average on approach 
only only spot he gained uh, strokes last year was on around the greens. So I will also be keeping my eyes peeled for a Kurt Kitayama fade. Perhaps maybe even they have a market for him on Bet365. So I'm going to take a look at that. And maybe we have another in-pod play here. I think that that's interesting. And I think from an in-tournament perspective, if you're looking for daily matchups, he's like the first name or one of the first names on the top of my list that I'm going to be trying to take on. Bet365 does not have a Kitayama play available as of now. Oh, uh, no, they do. Uh, he was at the top of the list for some reason. He is 42 or better at minus 120, 43 or worse at minus 120. Any thoughts on that, guys? Yeah, I mean, I'll take the I'll take him to finish worse than that. I, I, I think that there's a reasonable likelihood chance that he misses the cut this weekend. And even if he makes it, I have enough reason in my model. Like That's 111th through a two-year duration of time of me running my model. There's enough of a reason for me to believe that there is a possibility that he implodes even if he makes the cut. I like it. I might add that one for a quarter unit uh, just as a smaller play. Speaking of these placement markets, which placement bets have you made this week? I'll actually give you a bet 365 play that I like this weekend. That is going to be Brendan Todd to come 58th or better at minus 120. So my model believes that he's a top 30 player in the field this week. And the last three years of playing this course have generated finishes inside the top 50 of the leaderboard. Uh, Todd's recent form probably does leave something to be desired with his missed cut in 53rd over two events, but his Bermuda putting rank of second and recalculated par four scoring of eighth does render a proper profile to take on Wileye. Uh, Iris 0.30 to win 0.25 there. I also bet him to come top 40 at plus 135. I don't mind, you know, if you don't have access to one or the other, I don't mind piling it all onto one of those two wagers there. I think either way is fine there. The other placement bet that I'm going to take, and yeah, I have some trepidation about it at plus 220. I'll just have like a 0.3, 0.35 exposure to it, but it's going to be Lucas Glover to come top 40 at plus 220. Kind of already gone through all the reasons of why I like him this week, but I'm just going to hope that the ball striking outweighs anything that we see with the putter. And I'd be lying if I said I'm not worried that even if he makes the cut, that we don't run into the spot. And I've seen it with players like him before to where he's 27th entering Sunday and all of a sudden he loses six shots putting when push comes to shove for the tournament and he finishes in like 52nd place when the ball striking also goes south there. But I don't know. I mean, at plus 220, he's one of the biggest leverage plays I have in general and like the equity I have from him across the board is kind of very strong I'm not going to say what I have him to win this tournament because I don't think that that's like a fair number I think my model is a little bit outlandish with the prices it's giving me at this point but I also think that like the reverse of this there is there's going to be top 20 upside for this tournament and if you're telling me that there's a golfer that's going to be plus that price at plus 220 to come inside the top 40 I'm going to bet on the ball striking there and, and just hope everything else comes when it needs to. I've got some similar plays on ball striking where we hope everything else comes together. And I'm going to be the third person on this podcast to bet on Russell Knox. I didn't bet him in the outright market like you guys did, but I have him for top 20 at plus 400. And the reasoning is because he is strong off the tee on driving accuracy, even though he's pretty short, he finished 19th last year on tour in driving accuracy. Then on an approach from the key distances of 125 to 200 yards in each bucket between 125 and 150, 150 and 175, 175 and 200. 
He finished in the top 58 in approach proximity last year on tour, and he was overall 25th in strokes gained approach. And then finally, the course history, where in his last six starts, he's gained strokes on approach all six times. And he's actually gained strokes on approach 10 of the 11 times he's played on this course. And he's finished in the last six times he's played uh, inside the top 11, three of the last six times, and all three times when he gained strokes with the putter. So he's going to do well on approach here. And if he putts well, I think he'll have a good chance of getting into the top 10, if not the top 20. So I took it for plus 400. Then I also took uh, Mark Hubbard, top 10, plus 1,200. A little bit more aggressive play here. I don't know that he can win the tournament. Another guy who's pretty short off the tee. But the key proximities that I just mentioned, he finished last year on tour, 13th from 125 to 150, 27th from 150 to 175, and then tied for 33rd from 175 to 200. Uh, in his last 19 starts on tour, he has three top tens, which are all top fives. So he can get up there and he's cashed at this rate, but we don't want to necessarily cherry pick like that. Um, and those courses where he's played well are similar courses where you don't necessarily need to be long. You want to be accurate off the tee. And uh, there is a relative premium put on putting and approach play. And unlike Knox, he actually is a strong putter. Uh, and he has shown that he can get hot and marry the putter with a strong approach play. Uh, I think he's gained over a half stroke per round in seven tournaments last year and, or at least over the last calendar year. And when he did that in those seven times, he gained at least half a stroke on the greens five times. So I don't know that that's necessarily sustainable, but I think for a 12 to one price for a top 10, it was worth it for me. Um, I also took a shot on Tom Coyne, 27th or better. The stroke gained approach numbers are insane. I think he's got a really high floor. Hopefully he's not too bummed about bummed out about seeing his horn frogs get absolutely murdered last night. And then uh, we just added Kurt Kitayama, uh, 43rd or worse. So I'm going to play each of the previous three for uh, 0.5 units um, to win um, just under uh, 0.45 units. And then I'm going to play the Kurt Kitayama unit or Kurt, Kurt Kitayama, the 43rd or worse uh, for half that for 0.25 units. Spencer, I know you've got to get out of here a little earlier. Any final thoughts you want to share before you got to roll? Yeah, I'm going to throw one thing out there very quickly. So I think I've become the first round leader guy on this show where I randomly try to throw things out there. First of all, really like the Mark Hubbard play. I think shoot for as much upside as you can. I also agree. I don't think he can win the tournament, but something like a top 10 wager makes a lot of sense. The other way that I would recommend playing him, 130 to one to be the first round leader. I think that that's a very enticing price for a guy that I don't trust over four rounds but might be able to spike with the putter and some of the proximity numbers for a day. Awesome. Love that we're, I'm in agreement with you guys on Russell Knox and Mark Hubbard for, for some more thoughts. You can find uh, a sleepers article I wrote on action network today with those two guys with my full breakdown there. Uh, but glad you guys are both on them as well. It gives me a little bit more confidence. Maybe I'll add a little bit more to it. Um, any final thoughts, Spencer, or we'll see you next week. No, I'll see everybody here next week. You know, once again, thanks for all the support you guys have shown us on this show. You can find all the work that I do over on Rotoballer. Uh, we have a lot of stuff that I'm very excited that I've put into the space. Uh, you can find my model over there. If you like the information that you heard from me uh, with all the numbers that I've run through, you can make a copy of my model, get all your data there. So, uh, you know, let's try to get everything back on track. We had a really good off season between the mm -hmm. three of us. Like, obviously... Morikawa put a little bit of a downer to start this season, but 
Uh, I'm excited for what we're able to do together and let's try to have a winning week this week. Awesome. And Spencer's on a few different sites, but you can find everything from him at T-Off Sports, T-E-E-O-F-F Sports at Twitter. So uh, we'll let you go, Spencer. Uh, Nick and I will bring this home. Nick, any final plays before? Web Simpson. Talk about Web Simpson in my house. <laughs> I will That's not do that. How do we get this long into the podcast Kick without a web mention? Kick All right, guys. Off. Take care. Take See care, you, Spencer. Spencer. All right, I will tell you on Mark Hubbard, but I'm going to be more conservative about it. I found a plus 185 for Mark Hubbard to be top 40 for the exact same reasons that you talked about him. So I absolutely love that. Awesome. A ticket I don't love as much, but grades out pretty well. Um, I had him priced at plus 170 here, and I did find a two to one on Sam Ryder to finish top 40. Someone I want to get DFS exposure to, I don't think I'll do it. I'll probably just take the uh, top 40 ticket. And then Alex Smalley, um, plus 115. I don't like that. I think I'm pushing the envelope there a little bit. I had him priced at minus 105, so only 20 points of value there. Usually, I do not take anything unless there's 30 points of value there. But I absolutely love the Mark Hubbard ticket. He's probably one of my favorite value plays this week. So I'm, uh, I'm, I'm not as aggressive as you are with the top 10, but I absolutely love Mark Hubbard. Awesome. I'll have to take a look at what I have available in the top 40 market. And just to clarify, I'm not sure if I misheard you, but the Alex Smalley play, was that top 40? Yes, for, top 40. That's, uh, yeah, cool. that's pretty much as, uh, that's my placement market is always top 40. I'm a conservative coward when it comes to that. But that kind of <laughs> is how I build my card to put, you know, right around one unit in the outright market. So everything else is to match up, sir, the top 40 market. Awesome. Any final thoughts before we... Say goodbye to the Hawaiian two-step here on the PJ Tour. Night golf. Can't beat it. Night golf, baby. I'm excited. Prime time. It should be a ton of fun. Hopefully, we avoid the bad beats, the early calls, and the overall. <laughs> the early calls, of course. <laughs> overall. That's, that's, just... on me. that's on me. I retired from those. <laughs> and overall, just despair that Saturday or Sunday evening brought us. Um, yeah. Big NFL weekend this week. Any other bets in other markets that you've made or future golf bets that you've made um, that people might want to pounce on at some point? Nothing yet. No, I'll start breaking down Augusta here um, probably in the next week or two. As soon as the NFL playoffs get down to like the, the final four, that's usually when I have a little more time to start looking at the futures for golf, but no, I'm just, uh, just week by week right now. All right. I, uh, I did place a 100 to one bet on Tom Hoagie to win the players championship. Because that's a good spot for him. That's a good spot. I like that. So I actually did an internship at the PGA Tour for a summer, and we got to play at TPC Sawgrass, the stadium course. That's well, I actually know the course pretty well. I've gotten slapped around by it several times. Uh, <laughs> it feels like a spot where I think he could do well, and if the approach numbers stay hot, I think he's going to have that number potentially slashed in half by the time we get there. So I took a shot on him 100 to 1. Don't know that we'll see him at 100 to 1 in many places. And worst case scenario, it's not a big bet. So uh, hopefully we get a little value by the time we get to Jacksonville and Ponte Vedra Beach for the players. And so with that, uh, we'll say thanks everybody for tuning in this week. Nick, where can we find your work uh, for the next week? Uh, right now, everything's going to be at Better Golf Pod, B-E-T-T-O-R, Golf, P-O-D. And then everything NFL related is going to be at Win Daily, and then the best bets article at Action Network. Awesome! Stay tuned for those this week. Once again, you can find Nick on Twitter at Sticks Picks. That's Sticks with an X. And I am Roberto Arguello 
Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Roberto A213. Got that sleepers article with the Knox and Hubbard picks on Action Network. And then you can find me tomorrow on the Gimme live at 5.30 p.m. Eastern on the Action Network YouTube. I'll be joined by Jason Sobel as we break down our best bets for the Sony Open in Hawaii this week. So with that, we'll say thank you. Appreciate everybody on the back end here at Action, uh, making sure that all the actual hard work is done uh, to get this podcast or video on YouTube presented to you in a timely manner. Thanks again for everyone's support and for tuning in. You've been listening to the Links and Locks betting preview podcast here on the Action Network. Be sure to check out the other Links and Locks podcast, The Best Bets with Jason Sobel and Ben Everill as they break down their top plays for this week's tournament. And you can find everything else at the Action Network com and the Action Network app, the award-winning Action Network app. Thanks again for everybody who makes this, this podcast possible, and we'll catch you guys next week. Here's to hoping you hit the green. Action Network reminds you, please gamble responsibly. If you or someone you care about has a gambling problem, help is available 24-7 at 1-800-GAMBLER.